From the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. Here's Plum. As he steps back, shot good. She made it look so easy. Wilson, going to back down Nick, a six-on-eight. Muscles his way up and in, plus the foul. Janae, the trailer, the layup won't go. Rebound off to Wilson, her 11th. No foul from L.A., and that'll be that. It's time for Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Call there from... ESPN as the Aces get back on the winning track last night against the Los Angeles Sparks. 5 o'clock, Cofield and Company on a Tuesday. Adam Candy, Adam Hill. It is, of course, an Adams Family edition. Are you alongside in the Finley Toyota Studios? Let's do it. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five. Number five. One of those days, man. 5 o'clock, you got to jump in the car. Grab the wheel, fire that ketchup at the wall, and head out of work. You're done. It's the end of the day. You, sir, Mr. Adam Hill, are not done with work. I can see you still pounding away at the keyboard. You are one of the hardest working men in all of Las Vegas sports media, and yet I know you would never use this word to describe yourself. You would never call yourself a martyr for anything, would you? No, the that's Steve's job. He refers to me that way all the time. I know. That's why I use this as a fun sure. word. Sure. Right. Uh, you would never describe yourself that way. What if you were going to make, I don't know, let's throw out a random number. What if you're going to make $36 million to play basketball this year? Would you consider yourself in some way a martyr? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think okay. I would just all right, all right, thanks. collect my money. You just collect, you know, you'd just be a normal person. And go collect your $36 million, right? You were, you're not exactly daring to be different. You're just like, yeah, I'm going to show up to work like everybody else. I'm going to make $36 million. So Kyrie Irving, of course, uh, Kyrie Irving said that, that, that he is a martyr. Um, man, it must be hard. It must be hard. Uh, Kyrie, of course, opted into his $36 million after finding out that the Lakers didn't even want him for $6 million. And uh, it's been a rough road for Kyrie the last year or so. He was on Kevin Durant's podcast uh, talking about the situation with the vaccine mandate and the fact that, you know, he wouldn't get the vaccine, so he wasn't allowed to play for most of the year for the Brooklyn Nets. And this is what he had to say on the Kevin Durant podcast. Quote, I was not expecting a mandate to be brought down in a way where it wasn't going to let me play at all. I had the opportunity to play away games still, but there was no plan in place. There was no vision of how it was going to work for our team. And I think that really impacted not just me, but a lot of people. Just had to sit in that hot seat for a little bit and deal with it. The life of a martyr, bro. <laughs> Wait, you threw that part in, right? He didn't actually say that. Bro, I didn't. Bro, that is real. Bro, it is actually in the quote. Bro, he said that. And bro, I don't know how you could deal with what Kyrie Irving has dealt with, bro. Like it, it The life of a martyr. Well, again, without even getting into, you know, whether, you know, the vaccine or whatever, like to say that you didn't expect it is completely disingenuous. Like everyone knew that was coming. And by the way, even like, let's just say he had no idea. He just wasn't paying attention to anybody. He wasn't, he wasn't following, you know, anybody in the NBA on social media. 
He wasn't talking to anybody. His agent didn't tell him. The team didn't tell him. Nobody told him. It was just a big surprise to him. Even if you would accept all that, the first game of the season comes, and they're like, oh, you're not playing tonight. And he was totally caught off guard by it. He still could have got the shot then. Like, if it was totally surprised, he's like, I didn't expect this to happen. Well, then it did, and then you just could have got it. Like, you weren't totally caught off guard. You, you you mean even at the end of the season, you still didn't expect it? That's crazy. Well, and then the mandate was lifted. Kyrie said at the time, I can really say that I stood firm on what I believed in, what I wanted to do with my body. I think that should be not just an American right. I think that should be a human right. Okay. Well, that's fine. Standing Again, up for a bigger cause. Not, we still don't know what the cause was, by the way. Adam. No, no. He's never told us well, what his reasoning is. And the earth is flat. For not taking it. Correct. And and I think that the important thing to keep in mind here is we talk about all of this Kyrie Irving situation. We can be as snarky as we want with some of the arrogance and out-of-touch things that he says. But you know what you never read about with Kyrie Irving? You will never see the word we. It is always I. Every quote with Kyrie Irving has to do with I. When he was in Cleveland, it was, I can't play with LeBron James anymore. And I need outs. Okay, fine. You request a trade. You don't want to play with LeBron James. You end up having to go back later and apologize to LeBron. And when it came to were they going to do a sign and trade for him now, here's the quotes from The Athletic that came out earlier this week from Joe Varden, who's, of course, in touch with a lot of things, Cleveland. Uh, As for LeBron and the Lakers, where this whole conversation began, Irving privately and publicly apologized for James for being such a pain in the rear toward him when they were in Cleveland together. There were all kinds of resentment from Kyrie and his camp toward LeBron. James was blown away by Irving's immaturity. Okay, so he got his trade. He goes to Boston, right? He goes to Boston, and things start out great. Then he gets hurt. And he ends up playing over the last three seasons, some with Brooklyn, some with Boston, a total of 103 games. And we saw how ugly it got with the Boston fans during the Brooklyn series. He's flipping them off. He's saying all sorts of wild things to them in the crowd. It's always about I with this guy. I just want to see the first time when he talks about making a decision for the good of his team, for the good of an organization, for the good of someone other than him. Because as much as guys are out there to make their money, and we know this is a business, and we always talk about how players have got to make their money, implicit in that, Adam, is that they're going to work for the money, is that they're going to show up and do the job they're supposed to do for the money. Congratulations, Kyrie. You have won a championship. You wouldn't have won it without LeBron, but you have won a championship. You have not done anything else in your career that has anything to do with anyone other than you. And the benefit of the doubt for anyone who had any left should be gone by now. Well, yeah, and and let's not, I mean, let's also say he is a great player. And I think there's times that he's very thoughtful and has some some interesting things to say. Now, obviously, the flat earth stuff is ridiculous. And, um, and, and... and let's also say this, like, I, I feel like, and, and I say these, I say so, stuff like this sometimes, and people absolutely do just hear what they want to hear and take it the wrong way. I feel like there is something to, look, I'm a selfish person. I care about myself. I'm on the planet for myself. And that's not how I would live. Me, Adam, is not how I would live. But, like, there is something to, this is how I am. I care about me, not society, not other people. I'm here for me, and maybe that's how you're supposed to live. 
Maybe we have it wrong. Maybe you should live for yourself and not for everyone. And to not take the vaccine, that's living for yourself. And again, I, that's not how I would choose to live my life. But maybe we do have, maybe, maybe you are put on the planet to live for yourself and do things for yourself and be every man for himself. Maybe that is how you're supposed to live. Like, I, I don't completely dismiss that as possible. Go and, play golf. And so maybe he has it right. Go play tennis. Go play golf or tennis. It's Individual I just, sports. I do I do think it's it's, it's worthy of at least discussing that sometimes. Like again, because we I'll have that's not our worldview, and that's not how we live. But like there there is that thought, and there is that possibility that that is how people are supposed to live their life. I will have that discussion with someone not complaining about how he makes thirty six million dollars. <laughs> well, sure. To, to play to play, basketball. but again, that's him. Like he's out for himself, right? Like he is out for him. Sure. So why? Maybe maybe he's right. I don't know. Number four. He's not the only one going through it, Adam. <laughs> we Freddie all. Freddie Freeman's going through it right now. Oh, yes. Freddie is having a hard time. Uh, there, some more quotes came out today from Freddie Freeman about the reunion he had, getting his World Series ring as the Dodgers went to Atlanta this past weekend. Uh, if you didn't catch. What happened with Freddie Freeman when he had his first news conference in Atlanta? I think it's important we give you a little bit of context. That ring is just not a ring to me. Uh, it's all the sacrifices. All the missed family time. All the hours. The broken wrists. The 14-hour bus rides, the minor leagues, the 4 a.m. get-ins at hotels, the grind every single year to finally win it. Man, there's no better feeling in the sport. We are never going to drag an athlete for showing emotion, frankly. We, We spend too much time dragging athletes uh, for letting it out. It's not what should be done. We, we should be encouraging them to share how they feel. We should be encouraging everybody to give us the most honest answers they could. That doesn't mean those answers come without consequences, Adam. And uh, within the Dodgers locker room, it appeared there there was less than a, a fully open-armed reception. Uh, Clayton Kershaw talked about how, obviously, you know, it was cool to see Freddie going through that and getting his ring and and feeling through that. And the end of the quote was very interesting. He talked about how he hopes Freddie feels that way about L.A. someday. Uh, And this story continues to have legs because apparently just today, uh, Freddie Freeman talking to Fabian Ardaya said, there needs to be closure. It's time. I'm a Dodger for the next six years. That's where my focus lies. I'm happy to be a Dodger. He went on to say, if you were in a relationship for 15 years and it ended, you're going to have feelings. And I've had feelings. I've been going through this process of grieving and now I'm in the healing process and the moving on process. I mean, I think it's it's fair. Like, I think it's fair, too, I, I but I question how much of it goes on in public versus how much of it sure. goes on in private in the situation that Freddie Freeman is in the team sport. Sure. and But, but I mean, I, I think guys would have to understand. Like, yeah, you have to you have to get the, the fact that he's saying he can never have with the Dodgers, even if they win six straight titles. He can never have with the Dodgers what he had with the Braves because he never had those those bus rides in the minor leagues and the the bonding over 
you know, terrible living conditions when you're playing minor league baseball and, and fighting, you know, fighting for a roster spot and all those things. Like he came to the Dodgers as a superstar and as a very, very rich player. And so you can never have that moment again. You can never have that that bonding time again. It, it could be different. You can you can you know again you can win a couple of titles and you know be remembered for your time with the Dodgers and and leave a mark on that franchise and have a different experience. But it'll never be the same type of experience. You get that part of it. I mean, I I get you know you can you can do this and you can have your emotional moments behind closed doors and, and not have to do it in public. But I I, I appreciate him being. You know, being able to speak publicly and say like, "Yeah, this is this is this hurts. Like, this is this is real life. This is a bond that will ha- be shared forever, and we'll never, I'll never be able to go back to it. And as much money as I make, and as many titles as I win somewhere else, it just won't be the same feeling." But I'll push back in this regard, Adam. He was going home. He went home to California. There should still be an emotional attachment he can draw out of that that will be valuable to him with going home. And if I'm a Dodger right now and I'm watching all of this happen, I don't feel great, right? I appreciate Freddie Freeman sharing all of this. Look, I was in a 15-year relationship. I went through it and had my feelings, and I don't know that my next girlfriend wants to hear all about it, right? And I think that's kind of where the Dodgers are right now with, hey, you know, that's that's great, but you're you're cool here, right? <laughs> like, you want to you wanna do this, right? Sure. <laughs> well, he's the one that brought the relationship into it, so I think that, I think that's fair. Um, but it is it is different. It's definitely different. Number three. Sometimes you just can't salvage that relationship, right, Adam? Sometimes uh, fifteen years, four years could be could be four months. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. uh, Baker Mayfield, four years with the Browns. Uh, even though it looks like Deshaun Watson might not play this year for the Cleveland Browns, uh, Baker Mayfield was asked whether he thought there was any chance of coming back to Cleveland, and he was pretty clear on his feelings. I mean, is it a little unfair that you still don't kind of know where you're going or what's going to be happening? Um, I think, you know, I think I got frustrated with it not happening before, uh, you know, like minicamp and all those things, uh, but that's, that's the stuff that's out of my control, and so, you know, let those things happen and, and fall into place, and so right now I'm just controlling what I can and, and enjoying this. Okay, there's a second half of that quote that's actually the uh, piece of that quote that we were looking for uh, when Baker Mayfield was discussing whether or not he thought the relationship could be salvaged. And I'll just sum that up for you here as uh, Baker Mayfield said, yeah, well, they'd have to reach out to me. Uh, They're going to have to be the ones to reach out to me, and that hasn't happened here quite yet. Adam, should the Browns have to reach out to Baker Mayfield? Have they wronged Baker Mayfield? No, yes and no. I mean, to, to some degree, yes. Now, it's understandable. They they have him under contract. He's the one that asked for a trade. They're under no obligation to trade him under the terms that he wants uh, because they do have him under contract for another year. But it's also pretty clear what they're doing. They're holding on to him in case Deshaun Watson is out for the year um, and potentially saying at that point they could say, you know what? We're, we're keeping him and playing him, which would, I think, be good in in the long term for him, even if he doesn't see it right now. I think that could really work out for him to play for a team that has a lot of talent around him, a good coaching staff, a, t- a chance to win, potentially go to the playoffs and give him a massive contract after the season somewhere else. Like, that would probably be b- the best thing for him. 
he is in his feelings like Freddie Freeman and doesn't want to do that. He, he thinks the relationship has been burned and he doesn't want to be there. Uh, but it would it would really be, I mean, just a, a a pretty rotten thing to do, but completely fair for them to wait to the last minute and trade him where he doesn't have a chance to go somewhere and learn a system and, you know, bond with a new team and set himself up and just throw him out there and say, all right, we're trading you right before the start of the season, and now you don't have time to establish yourself as a player somewhere else, and now you have to go through this year and then probably not get a big contract at the end of the year because you maybe were a backup. Like, all the, those, the, there's so many moving pieces to this, but in the end they can come back to him and say, you're the one that asked for a trade. Like, yes, we went out and signed Deshaun Watson, but you're the one that asked for the trade, so we could have we could have made this work and we could have salvaged it and kept you around, but that's not what you wanted. So I think both sides have some fault in this. Um, it is kind of crappy what they're doing to him, but at the same time, like that's their right, and he set up this situation. Number two, uh, the rest of that situation, of course, is Deshaun Watson's I, hold, disciplinary. Hold on, real quick, I'm sorry. Before we go, okay. I, I do think it's hilarious that he could potentially like take them to the Super Bowl as a quarterback, and then they're stuck. I'll, I'll say stuck. They have Deshaun Watson, who is one of the top three quarterbacks in the league, my, in my opinion, to a guaranteed contract after this season, and then they'd have to move on from Baker, who could have just taken them to the Super Bowl, which would be fantastic in every way. Well, I'm not worried. As long as Deshaun's involved, I'm sure they can massage the situation. Oh, Number two. Oh, oh, boy. Number two. Disciplinary hearing uh, concludes day one, according to Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network for Deshaun Watson. So the news comes out yesterday, obviously leaked to try to influence the the decision here. Um, I thought that Deshaun Watson's suspension was going to come in around eight games. And it seems like the NFL is pushing for what looks to be a minimum of 16 games with conditions that essentially would have to be reevaluated after that. So are, are we out here trying to set new precedent, Adam? Are, are we trying to essentially do something with Deshaun Watson that is so clear and 180 from the Ray Rice thing that we make a brand new precedent for the NFL to live with moving forward. Yeah, but every I mean every situation is different. So I mean I know that law is all about precedent, and I'm sure that's what they're going to argue here because they have again a new this this has been a process that has kind of played out before, but this is fairly new in terms of being the public eye and, and us seeing the, the process behind the scenes and everything that's going on in that it is the NFL arguing, making their arguments, and then it is the NFLPA and Watson making their arguments on the other side, and then theoretically a neutral, you know, former judge making the, the decision. But then, of course, there is the parts that Roger Goodell could then overrule the decision, like all these other things that are going on. But when you talk about precedent and setting a new precedent, and yeah, it seems like the NFL wants to do that. It sounds like they want like a Josh Gordon type, you know, <laughs> like a suspension that is indefinite and then we'll decide after a year if you can come back at that point because clearly what the NFL wants to do is say, all right, it's indefinite, you got a year, and that gives another year for any other, you know, potential victims to come forward because what they don't want to do is say, say, all right, it's a year. And all of a sudden there's 30 more victims that come forward and they're like okay now what do we do so th that's why they want it indefinite with that condition of reevaluating after a year now i will almost guarantee you i haven't heard this necessarily said but i will almost guarantee you that on the other side the argument is robert Kraft, 
and the the judge is like, wait, what? What's the what's this? Uh, Robert Kraft did the same thing. Not as many accusations, but literally the same thing. And his penalty was what? Nothing. I think we could probably get into the coercion part of this as, as to whether or not the Robert Kraft thing is exactly the same. But I hear where I hear where you're coming from. We we uh we we have spent a lot of time talking about misbehaving or misanthrope quarterbacks. How about a guy who's getting it right? Let's talk a little Joe Burrow on the other side. It's the Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 570-9000. This is the first time this process has been used. If, if Roger Goodell were to do something to supersede the uh, arbitrator's ruling, yeah, that, that could potentially lead to people calling the process a, a sham, and, and I don't think that's good for the league or, or for Roger. So my, my hunch is that in this hypothetical case, he would probably go ahead and support her decision. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota studio. Heavens, we would never want to call anything that happens in NFL disciplinary situations a sham. Cofield and Company, Adam Candy, Adam Hill. Uh, on the other side of quarterbacks off the field, interesting posts that you flagged uh, shared by Joe Burrow on uh, Instagram was a reshare of something in the wake of the abortion decision at the Supreme Court in which Joe Burrow was making his feelings known. And I thought the interesting part is that when it was shared on Twitter, I saw it liked nearly 180,000 times, Adam. Um, I found it interesting that a quarterback speaking out on social issues could be received well, considering uh, we've seen so many that haven't been. Yeah, and not, listen, obviously not everybody was positive and, you know, you're going to have people that are outraged and upset, but I, I think... You know, certain certain players definitely feel like they are in a position where they can speak out and make a difference and make a positive difference in, in what they believe. And he certainly did feel that way and felt comfortable enough that it was going to go. I think there's a lot of very conflicted Bengals fans probably who want to be mad and outraged, but it's hard, right? I mean, what they people attacked Colin Kaepernick. He sucks a quarterback. He shouldn't say anything. Okay, well, uh, you're wrong, but how about a quarterback who's at the top of his game and just – just went to a Super Bowl. Can he talk? Is he allowed to talk? Can he can he speak his mind? Um, and you know, Bengals fans that might otherwise hate what he said are like, yeah, I still love the guy. That's rough. Um, I, I do think it's it's fascinating, and and I also think, listen, no, nobody on planet Earth believes that politics should not be a part of sports. They just think their their politics should be a part of sports, and other people's politics shouldn't be. And that that's how it's always been, and that's how it's always going to be. So anybody that says stick to sports, you're lying. You're just saying stick to sports and politics that I like. That's what it really is. And so, yeah, I I, I obviously applaud. And then, listen, I agree with what Joe, Joe Burrow said, so it's easier for me. But um, that's kind of how it's always going to go. You're going to love this transition, Adam. <laughs> Speaking of lying, we'll talk to Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus in just a minute. More of Cofield and Company is on the way. Live in the Finley Toyota Studios. They're very close. And one thing about Devante that I've learned is that he's a very hard worker. Him himself is a dangerous person to have for our team, uh, for for different defensive coordinators. I would hate to be a defensive coordinator at night going to sleep knowing I have to face Devontae Adams that Sunday. So um, I'm glad he's on my side. Now, 
Back to Coalfield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. 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 That's the voice of Chandler Jones with Colin Cowherd talking about Devontae Adams and the new look Raiders offense. Adams family edition of Cofield and Company. Adam Candy alongside Adam Hill. Ari in the Finley Toyota Studios and on the phone lines, I believe fresh off uh, recording his own podcast, uh, joining us here on the show, Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus. Uh, do I have that right? Or are you just done wrapping the forecast, Eric? Adam, Adam, absolutely. <laughs> I am currently traversing the uh, brilliant roads of one Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, on my way back <laughs> from the show. So uh, I, I'm, uh, uh, you know, aspirationally jealous of you guys in Las Vegas right now. Wow. Wow. I, uh, I'll take that jealousy and run with it. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Uh, Eric, um, we, we kind of teased this coming in, and, and anyone who's a regular listener to uh, your podcast, the PFF Forecast that you do with George Shahuri, uh, knows that as we get ready for this upcoming NFL season, uh, you have planted your flag, at least for betting purposes, with the Detroit Lions. And I know for those in Vegas who maybe haven't really tuned into the NFL quite yet uh, here in late June, what's the case that you're making for Detroit as a potential betting option? It's a few things. I think that the you know the, the talent on that team I think is a little bit underrated. You look at that offense. You have three first round picks along the offensive line: uh, Taylor Decker, um, <clears throat> Frank Ragnow, and Panay Sewell. Um, obviously, Jared Goff has his limitations, but I think the limitations are going to be curbed. Um, you have Amon Ross, St. Brown, uh, Jamison Williams at some point this year, and then T.J. Chark at wide receiver, DeAndre Swift, and T.J. Hawkinson as well. So. You know, they have talent, um, but to me it's, it's also you know, how hard they play. Last year they led the league in number of points scored um, when, they, when their win percentage was less than 1%, meaning like this is a team that was tanking with their roster. They were not tanking in terms of playing hard. Uh, and then thirdly, the schedule is just so much more set up for them. You know, Chicago is going to be kind of, I, I think, pretty bad. Minnesota is not great at all, and, and Green Bay obviously got worse. This is a team that has, you know, I think the second easiest schedule in the NFL behind the, the New York Giants. They never go and play a game later than 1 p.m. Eastern. They never go west of the central time zone. Um, and they, they get to face both New York teams. They get to face Washington. They get to face, uh, you know, uh, Seattle, Jacksonville. Like, they, they really do have it set up for them. Uh, and I think this is a team that will play hard and win seven or eight games. So you're saying that, I had good fortune to be able to grab two small pieces of Dan Campbell coach of the year at 60 to one before it was moved away from me. I think so. I mean, Dan Campbell's got all the characteristics that a coach of the year candidate will win, right? He's a football guy, right? He, uh, even though if you look at their rates of fourth downs and stuff like that, they were very progressive last year. Um, but, but he, he was a former player. I think people like him as a quote, like, I think he has a lot of the characteristics that people are going to vote for in that coach of the year place, but also low expectations. I mean, all the coaches of the year are basically going to be guys that overcame things, you know, like Brabel or the year before with Stefanski with the bounds, you know, making the playoffs, even with a season win total of like seven or a half, eight, um, you know, it's that kind of team. And, and with a win total of six and a half right now, uh, you know, if the Lions go nine and eight, that's a playoff record in the NFC. And I think that that gets him uh, to that uh, window uh, with, with your bet. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna follow up on that. I mean, you kind of answered it there, but he seems like such a galoot, right? He and it seemed like the team played for him like he was a big galoot, and everybody's playing hard, and you know the funny biting knees and everything else like that. But he really, he really hasn't coached that way. So I guess, how do we feel about Dan Campbell as a coach? Yeah, that's that's kind of where I am. I think you know, on on the the podcast that you've been on, Adam, before the uh, Red Golden Bold, and uh, with with Sir, our friend Seren Petro, like I, I ranked head coaches, and I I had him in a third in the third tier. Like I think you know, when you watch that team play, that team was eleven and six against the spread. They were they over always overcame expectations. Um, they they played harder than their than their talent level would would suggest. Um, and they, they went for fourth downs. They were aggressive. They knew that they were the underdog. Um, and, and to me, that's, that's a good recipe for coming out of the gate strong in 2022, uh, especially, I think, given another year of Jared Goff, Jared Goff healthy, um, you know, sort of knowing that that quarterback has limitations and, and doing everything you can. I, I think one of the big subtractions that's going to end up being an addition for them is, is no longer having Anthony Lynn as the offensive coordinator. I think that, that he's been kind of a – a negative for teams for a while now. I think that helps as well in terms of getting the best out of Jared Goff in that offense. Uh, football is fun and all. We love it. We'll get back to it in a second. But even more importantly, are we going to get a trophy in Las Vegas with the Aces? Is this going to happen? <laughs> you know, this is so much fun because I've been on a few shows now and they ask me WNBA questions. Um, I think so. I, my, you know, they, they've gone one and eight the last nine games against the spread and 0 and five in the last five against the spread last night. Uh, I think they, they, it was, you know, they, they closed north of six and a half and they, the game landed six. So they, they've struggled against the number, but, um, I think right now, Chelsea Gray being out, uh, you know, they, they don't really have a great bench. I think that they should be acquiring somebody, you know, down the stretch to, to come off the bench and provide them. Uh, with some some backup you know uh, backup strength, especially in the post, but they're a team that no one's better at getting a 15 point lead than the Las Vegas Aces. Kelsey Plum is a wonderful player. Obviously, Asia Wilson's probably the best player in the league. Um, you know they they have some stiff competition. Chicago's great. Came back from 28 down on them the other day. Washington's fantastic as well as uh, Connecticut and, and Seattle. But uh, they're the favorite right now, and I think they should be. Eric Eager joining us from Pro Football Focus here with Adam Candy and Adam Hill. Uh, down the road as the Raiders get ready for this season, Eric, um, I, I think you and I share some questions uh, overall about the roster construction with the Raiders. It, let me ask you this about the offensive line. We know what the skill positions look like for the Raiders. They have many, many talented players can they overcome this offensive line if it does not improve? Do you think Josh McDaniels can scheme around it in a way that will still get production out of Derek Carr? Uh, I, I'm skeptical only because the years where Josh McDaniel overcame, you know, the Trent Browns of the world playing on his offensive line uh, in New England, it was with Brady. You know, the, the year where they had success without Brady, they really built the offensive line, you know. And so um, I, we haven't seen sort of the non-Tom Brady quarterback behind a not-great offensive line with Josh McDaniel probably is since back when Kyle Orton was his quarterback in Denver. Uh, and so I, I get a little worried there, um, you know. But to me, it's, it's less about, you know, their, their ability in 2022 
it, it's more about, okay, what, what do they have to go through? They, I believe, have the second toughest schedule in the NFL behind Kansas City. Um, they, they only have, I think, 33 players under roster in 2023 without much in the way of cap space. So they're really all in on this, this particular year. And I look up and I think, oh, they're like 13 to 2 to win the division. Their win total is like 8.5. And, and I'm like, you went all in to be the fourth best, play, fourth best team in the AFC West. Like, it just seems like a really weird gamble to me. Um, but, you know, they do have that high-end ability. And I do think one of the underrated parts of the, the John Gruden era was how good he made Derek, uh, Derek Carr. I think Carr, you know, in 2018, we all remember that pick six to Marcus Peters on opening night um, and, and how sort of, like, futile he was. He got much better over the course of the Gruden era to the point where he was carrying that team last year. Um, if he can continue that with McDaniel, they have a shot. But I wonder about this gamble, considering how strong the Chiefs, the Chargers, and the Broncos are. And I don't know if Adam hears it as often as I do, but I catch a lot of grief uh, from Raiders fans who look at the Devontae Adams acquisition and just assume that you know all stocks go higher, right? That that all of a sudden yep. you add and all, everything goes up from there. And they talk to me like I'm crazy, saying, "We just got Devontae Adams. How can things?" not get better, and I know you have a, a fairly salient way to counter that. Yeah, I mean, the Raiders fans should know the best out of anybody, like uh, wide receivers that go away from uh, Aaron Rodgers or Brett Favre and how well they do. I mean, <laughs> James Jones, uh, Jordy Nelson, uh, you know, uh, when it was uh, Randall Cobb, although Cobb had a pretty good year in Dallas once, um, but even like Greg Jennings went to Minnesota and was never the same. And so on and so forth. I, I, you know, Adams is a fabulous player, uh, you know, and I know he has the camaraderie with Carr and, and all of that. And, and I think Hunter Renfro, I mean, the fact that Hunter Renfro got 1,000 yards on 128 targets is a crazy statistic from last year. Waller was down last year, but he's also pretty good. So that, that is an impressive group of receivers. I think it's a big leap to say because Devontae Adams was the best receiver in football with Aaron Rodgers, he's going to continue to be so with Derek Carr. Uh, one of the things I love about what you what you guys do is there there is there's just so many angles and aspects to some of the stuff you guys uncover. I I love like some of the deep dives you know into the weeds, but I'm still trying to figure out what is going on with your guys' chart that you were putting out yesterday about linebacker separation and uh, it, it was crazy. It looked like the Raiders didn't score very well, first of all. But what are you guys uh, working on with this? Yeah, so so one of the things that's happened over the course of the last you know, I would say five years or so, is we really looked at, and I think everybody knew play action worked. I think people before we had expected points added and we had all of this stuff, I don't think people really understood how much play action helped, and I don't think people understood how unqualified that had to be. <laughs> if you ran play action with Daryl Williams as your running back or Derrick Henry as your running back, it was still effective. And I think most people would say, oh, you need a really good running back for play action to be that effective. And the answer was not actually, that that's not actually the case. Um, so what I wanted to do is I wanted to take the NGS data, so the chip data inside the shoulder pads, and actually measure how much linebackers bit on play action and how much they float against the run and see if there was any sort of like trade-off. Like, do linebackers who uh, flow voraciously against the run also bite on play action? Because that can be a mark to a defense. And interestingly, some of these teams now, and the Raiders were one of them, teams bit on play action you know, really heavily against the Raiders, um, if I'm remembering correctly. They didn't flow particularly well against the run, which I think is like kind of an interesting combination. Um, 
you know, teams like San Francisco, teams like L.A., um, no, their linebackers just simply don't move. Teams against the Chiefs, the Rams, um, the, the 49ers, teams with these really exotic schemes, linebackers have more or less given up on trying to be fast against them. And, and it's really sort of elicited this interesting dynamic where now these offenses, you think about Tyreek Hill being traded, you think about Devonte, you think about, um, you know, what the 49ers are trying to do with Debo and stuff. Like it's really made these, these elite offenses reevaluate who they are. I don't say this in any sort of facetious way, Eric. I'm just kind of reading into a lot of tea leaves that, that I've seen in that type of data and in, in, in other types of shifts that we've seen in the NFL. Is the linebacker position as, as a position, it, it, does it have a shelf life? Is there a point where the linebacker position is sort of phased out of the traditional NFL? I think that's a great question. I would say probably you're going you're gonna to see less and less linebackers get paid what they're paid. Um, right now you're sort of going through this phase where, oh, yeah, it's kind of like how running back was, where it's like, yeah, running backs don't matter that much except Adrian Peterson. He deserves the $100 million deal. Or except Christian McCaffrey, he deserves this. Oh, you know, don't draft running backs high except Saquon Barkley. And I think with linebackers you're currently seeing that it's like, yeah, linebackers are kind of a dime a dozen, except for Fred Warner, except for Darius Leonard, except for Bobby Wagner. And, type. and I think that's eventually going to go away because ultimately it's a lot about scheme. And, and you know, the, the one kickback I'll have is that, you know, for a while we had, like, Dayon Buchanan was drafted as a safety by the Cardinals, and they put him right at Mike Linebacker. And the guy was absolutely railroaded against the run. Uh, uh, Mark Barron, who was a safety drafted by Tampa Bay, the Rams made him into a linebacker, absolutely railroaded against the run. Um, you know, Daniel Sorensen was a similar guy for the Chiefs. Like, couldn't, he couldn't cover anybody, but funny, he also couldn't stop the run either. So, <laughs> like, it was, it, it was, you know, so I don't know if, if we're just going to immediately put all these big safeties into the box, box and say those are linebackers because I think teams will counter with more run plays, but it is like the trend I'm seeing. I think you're going to go from – you know, let's say you have a, a, a base two, four, five nickel. I think two of those inside linebackers are now going to become one safety and one linebacker in the future. Very interesting and stuff that we'll, uh, we'll keep an eye on. You guys are doing great work in terms of using that data to break it down. Uh, nobody does a better job of making it more understandable than Eric and George on the PFF forecast. Check out their podcast, Eric Eager from PFF. We, uh, we appreciate some time as you, as you traverse Cincinnati, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me on, guys. Take care. Thanks, man. Grab bag on the other side. Asia Wilson, we talked about the Aces a, mo- a minute ago, and she had some poignant things to say about Brittany Griner. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield & Co. Cofield & Company presents... Grab bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Vegas. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Wrapping it up on a Tuesday, Cofield and Company, Adam Candy and Adam Hill in the grab bag. Let's get in there one more time. Stick your hand in there, Dave. After the Las Vegas Aces victory over the Sparks last night, Adam, uh, Asia Wilson was asked about Brittany Griner's situation. She, of course, still detained in Russia. We find out today that her trial, such as it is, will begin on Friday, and Asia Wilson offered up uh, what sounded like a pretty emotional 
answer to a question about Brittany Griner? Oh, man. Um, it was tough. Uh, I hated seeing it. It, it. it made my stomach turn. And I'm just even starting to get emotional just talking about it. Uh, she's our sister. She's our sister. And I can't imagine what she's going through. And I pray every single day that the people that are in high ups are doing what they need to do to get her home because it's unacceptable. And to see her like that, I I can't even put it into words because we talk about how great she is as a player, but that's a person. That's someone's wife and she can't communicate with that. All I can think about, Adam, as I watch the Brittany Griner situation unfold is how different this would be if it were one of the top five stars in any other major sport. Um, I'm not saying that the Brittany Griner situation isn't being taken seriously. It's clearly being taken seriously, but I feel like in some ways it's kind of faded out of the national consciousness in a way that it wouldn't if we were talking about one of the four major sports. Yeah, no question. And I think there's still... You know, there are still people with a lot of questions about exactly what happened here and how politically motivated it was. It seems like it probably was. Um, but we haven't heard, you know, obviously there hasn't been a trial. There hasn't been many details that have come out. We don't know if she really was doing something. I I don't know. And, and I think that is part of it, too, where people are like, well, did she do something illegal or did she not? Uh, why is she being held? I think it's fairly clear at this point um, that it there's a lot of political motivation to it and that you know, obviously, Russia has some things that they want to gain from this, and, and that will be probably what has to be worked out at some point between the countries, which is awful that you'd put somebody in that situation where, you know, they have to, um, you know, wait out, wait on some, you know, moment of diplomacy for them to, you know, be able to speak to their families again and find freedom. That That's awful. Uh, but I, I think part of it is people just don't understand what happened, and I, I just don't think there's been answers to that, and, and that is is unfortunate and that, and that really sucks. Stick your hand in there, Dave. What's the best kind of ketchup? Um, the kind that like hits the wall and then trickles down. So it's kind of got like a, uh, what is it like a Happy Gilmore with the pickles? Yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, just kind of like it, racing, uh, racing down the glass. Ketchup is ketchup, right? Like, people- is it though? It is, is, is ketchup is ketchup there's ketchup? All these different experimentations with it now, mm-hmm. and the spicy ketchup and the the know. curry ketchup. Sure, there's 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 so many different things out there now. Just give me a, a standard old school ketchup. Is there would okay? So you standard old. So there's not one that trumps the others for you. <laughs> no, no. Okay, all right. I I just wanted to know if you uh if you had what, what is your preferred like if you pick one condiment from the world of condiments. What is your preferred condiment? Well, I mean, if I mean, I think if we're expanding to salad dressing, which I think we are, right? Sure. I'm I mean, I'm a, I'm very much a blue cheese guy. We've we've discussed yeah. that. Oh God, many absolutely. times. Yeah. No, I, 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 we could have discussed this with uh, with our buddy Sammy P uh, as well. That dude made an eight hour trip to Vegas. Yeah, that's, he did. That's hard to do he because did. he grabbed the, he grabbed some naked city wings. And I know there are probably people out there who put ranch on their wings. I don't oh, want to know them. Yeah, I don't know who either. they are. I don't want to know them. I don't want to have anything to do with them. But that was impressive, the, the the run he went on this weekend. Yeah, but he always does it. It's his thing. I think he gets a kick out of it now. Where I'll get a text from Sammy P at like 11 o'clock on a, on a Wednesday night. And he's like, yeah, hey, I'm landing at the airport. I'm like, cool. What are you doing tomorrow? He's like, oh, no, I'm leaving at 6 a.m. You want to hang out? I'm like, you're here for seven hours in the middle of the night? What are you doing? I, 
I envy the young. I don't have that kind of energy. I just can't do it. I, I don't know how he. I don't know how he pulls it off. I, I take like one two hour flight and I'm ready to take a nap. He just wants to be known for it now. I'm not giving him that credit anymore. Woo! He, he posted his whole he, shots he fired. Took like, he took like four flights in in 36 hours this weekend. What are you doing? I I did not expect this level of uh this this level of beef. Oh yeah. Oh, it's a long running feud. Wow. All right. Well, well, Sammy, uh, j- just know that considering you're, I know you're absolutely still listening to the show right now. Uh, you know, you're welcome to come back anytime to to counter Adam's claims about your travel plans. He doesn't have a counter. He knows it's true. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Adam, um, I just want to thank you. Okay. I want to thank you for for all that you do because. <laughs> Seems I know Steve. I know Steve considers you to be a martyr. Sure. Um, you're not a martyr. Okay. You're not a martyr. I don't. I don't think you act that way. I think you're a normal person. Wow. And I and I I hope you see that as a compliment. Um, it's not that you don't dare to be different. <laughs> it's just that normal people they keep the world going. <laughs> and I don't know. I'm not going to be here tomorrow, so I'm not going to be able to lead anybody into tomorrow. But I I just want to thank you for being you. Well, I've made my decision to opt in. So. What? Yeah, I mean. You are you, are you opt Wait a minute. Are you doing the show tomorrow? See are in you the opting fall. Are you opting into Cofield and Company on a Wednesday? See you in the fall. Or tomorrow. Wow. Or tomorrow. Or, or or in 21 hours. One or the other. One or the other. Thanks to Eric Eager, Sammy P, and Connor McGee for joining us here today, Adam and Ari and me, Candy. See you.